Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, Grumlaw Church. Uh, I'm maybe just a little bit amped up for today since, you know, it is Baptism Sunday. And I know for some of you, this will maybe sound a little bit sacrilegious, but, but these are genuinely my favorite Sundays of the year. Yes, I, I think I'm allowed to say this, even more than Easter and Christmas. I know, blasphemy. But, but these Sundays do an amazing job capturing why it is that we do everything that we do around here. On living, breathing display in front of all of us in just a little bit, there will be people actually publicly declaring their faith in Jesus. People who have been completely transformed by Jesus and would now like to tell everyone about it. In the words of Montel Jordan, this is why we do it. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> now, in that same line of thought, today we are starting a brand new series titled Different. And what we're doing in this series is we're answering the question, what is it that makes Grumlaw different? What are some of those unique convictions that God has ignited in our hearts? What is it that we really value around here? What makes Grumlaw different than the other 300,000 churches in America? That's a real number, by the way, I checked, but a number that is in sharp decline. For, for, the, for those of you who grew up going to church, you could appropriately label this as a vision series where we reveal to all of you where it is that we're headed. And, and if you're thinking about planting roots in this faith community, this series will hopefully answer a lot of those questions that you have floating around in your head. A, a look behind the curtain, if you will. Now, now, I'd like to give you a little bit of context as to why we're doing this series right now and why it is that God made it very, very clear that, hey, this is what you're going to be talking about this fall. We, we just emerged from what will likely be the most dislodging and disorienting season of any of our lives as our entire world was shut down for, depending on where you live, between one and two years. And, and everything that was familiar to us experienced some sort of a shakeup. Schools, uh, where we go out to eat, how we spend our free time, our, our finances. Seriously, it left nothing untouched, including our spiritual lives. For the first, and I'm hoping the last time, we, we were told you're not allowed to gather together to talk about that Jesus guy. So, so just about every church in America pivoted. We, we adjusted, and, and, and really, we attempted to convince ourselves that online is just as good as in person. But, but guess what? Ah, it, it's not. And this really shouldn't have surprised anyone since, you know, or maybe you don't know, central to Christianity, or more appropriately stated, following Jesus is, is being in consistent community with other followers of Jesus. Christianity was never meant to occur in silos, which is what we were kind of doing. It was designed by the Creator to occur in relationships. And it turns out that relationships take a bit of a hit when, when you don't see those people for a solid year or, or years or you only see them on a screen. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for technology and I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunities that it affords us that you're able to watch, in fact, even right now. Not, not the least of which, again, putting those services online, but nothing beats that face-to-face -face interaction. And we, again, actually all know this to be true. Now, let's take, for instance, when I go out of town, I travel a decent amount. 
Uh, I'll FaceTime with my kids a couple times a day, usually in the morning, once in the morning, and then and what's at night. And I love FaceTime. I am so thankful for FaceTime because when you're trying to talk and have a conversation with a five-year-old over the phone, doesn't work out very well. The whole time you're like, I don't think they're really paying attention. But with FaceTime, they get to actually see where daddy's staying and the last questions. You can actually have a conversation with your kids. So I am pro FaceTime. But, but, but despite all, all of the opportunities that FaceTime affords us, never once have I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe, maybe I just won't go home. I mean, this FaceTime thing, I mean, it is just as good. So, so I'm thankful for digital. I'm thankful for, for church online, but in person is kind of where it's at. It's central to what Jesus set in motion when he said the local church would be his plan to carry his message to the ends of the earth. But, but, but as we emerge from this COVID world and all of its lockdowns, not, not everything, right, went back to normal. Or, or probably better stated, not everything returned to the way it was before. For, for instance, uh, working from home replaced sitting in traffic. And some of you, when the time came, when they were like, hey, it's time to come back, you're like, can I stay at home a couple more days? Because I've kind of figured out that I can be just as productive in the home office as, as I was at like the office. In fact, maybe even a little bit more productive because I'm not wasting all that time again sitting in traffic. Uh, homeschooling, it no longer felt Amish, right? To some of you, like that was your nightmare. Like, how am I going to homeschool my kid? I don't know what the heck I'm doing. But then you actually did it. And you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is doable. And is it possible maybe for some of your kids, like this is actually a better environment for them to learn in than, than going to school? Spending habits were held in check and ignited. So some of you, you know, you didn't spend as much money because you couldn't go out and spend that money. But others of you, you figured out, it's like, oh, I can actually spend more money online. Some of you became hoarders and others of you, well, you got real familiar with the Amazon dude. M marriages thrived and, and, and they suffered. Because when you're living in that, that such close proximity without really any sort of a buffer with going to work each day, some of you figured out, man, I definitely married the right person. This, oh my gosh, our, our marriage is better than other. And others of you, you figured out, oh my goodness, maybe, maybe we need a little bit more time apart on a daily basis. And, and as it relates to places like this, these, these churches, church buildings, many decided they weren't coming back. Ever. Church online eventually kind of just lost its appeal, like it did, let's just be honest, for, for all of us to an extent. R returning to in-person just didn't feel necessary. And, and in the greatest church shuffle that we've ever seen on first world soil, many decided to finally check out that other place down the road that they've always been a little bit curious about. And even more people said, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm not going back. What happens, and don't think about this in Christian terms, just think about this very practically speaking. What happens when something very familiar, very consistent to us suddenly without warning changes? Let's say your kid one day decides she's going to start dressing in all black. I mean, she goes hard on the piercing, dyes her hair black, black lipstick, you know, the whole bit. Is that that's still called goth? I don't know, maybe. Or, or, or you start finding like all these little like puddles all over your house. You're looking around, it's like the roof leaking, the pets start peeing on the floor. What in the world's going on over here? Or, or your car just randomly won't start, and other days it will, and the gauges are going on, and then some days they're off. You're, what, what's going on? In, in all of these scenarios, right, we start asking questions. Initially, what in the heck is wrong with our daughter? Who is it that she's hanging out with all of a sudden? Does our dog have a bladder infection? Did, did someone hit the self-destruct button on my car? But eventually, most of the time, we point the finger at ourselves. Did I do this? Am I somehow to blame? 
did, did, did I skip three oil changes in a row? Did, did I ignore the discoloration on, on the ceiling that was telling me something was maybe wrong with the roof? Did I not prioritize dating my daughter maybe as much as I should have? And, and then finally, in, in an effort to fix it or try to get it back to the way it used to be, we, we start tinkering. We start messing around on the roof looking for loose shingles like we have any idea what we're doing. We, we ask our daughter if she wants to take a weekend trip to Chicago. We start Googling for recalls on the whip. And sometimes, right, it helps. Other times it doesn't. It's just kind of a net zero. And, and sometimes we actually make it worse. And, and coming out of a lockdown world initially, here at church, we were, just, we were just excited to have services again. But, but when weekend after weekend after weekend went by and some faces that used to be very, very familiar continued to stay at home, we, we started asking questions. And, and initially, if I'm just being totally transparent, m- most of the questions sounded like, what in the heck is wrong with these people? Why aren't they showing up? But eventually, I, I pointed the finger at myself. But where had I messed up? But what was I doing wrong? And, and then we started tinkering. Some of it for the good, I truly believe for the betterment of our future. For, for instance, coming out of the lockdown, we definitely had more of a reliance on the Holy Spirit. We talk more about the Holy Spirit. I think that's a good thing. But, but, but in some cases, I, I made things worse, like trying to talk about race when I was way too emotional and didn't understand it at a deep enough level. And so the whole world, it's, it's shaken up, collateral damage all over the place, Grumlaw notwithstanding. And, and I, I'm just telling you, in my context, I am questioning everything. Am I fit to lead any longer? Are we going to make it, right? I mean, churches are closing all over the place. Are we next? In so much tinkering. In God and his kindness, he brought myself and the leadership of this church to this very sweet, this, this tender place of humility. And, and he whispered to me, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Why aren't you acting in accordance with those convictions that I've put on your heart? That, that, that fire that I first ignited inside of you that, that led you to start this church in the first place. Why are you acting like this has fallen apart? I mean, do you really think I asked you to start a church only to watch it slowly crumble just four years later? Is that, Shay, how little you think of me? Shay, buddy, where is, is your faith? And the Lord, he's been reminding me of his promises reminding me what he can do with just like the tiniest piece of obedience. Reminding me that the best years of this faith community are ahead of us, that that, that we truly have not seen anything yet. And and so what we're going to do over the course of these seven weeks is we're going to talk about some of the stuff that's going to feel really, really familiar to those of you who have called Grumlaw home for a while now. The same convictions that God laid on my heart and the heart of this faith community years ago when, when he said, hey, you and this crazy group of people, you guys need to go start a church. God's been reminding, he's been reigniting. But, but we're also going to talk about some stuff that we've learned. That, that coming out of a pandemic, God said, hey, we're not going to be about that. To take what I've been teaching you and run full steam ahead instead with, with this. And so all of this kind of practically translates to seven church values that will define exactly what it is that makes Grumlaw different and the distinct calling that God has placed on this faith community. 
A, a calling that won't simply just see us survive, but thrive. A calling where prayerfully, hopefully, this won't just be a church for those of us who are watching right now, who gather in this room right now, but a church that is so clearly for this community. A church that if we were to suddenly just disappear, our community would actually miss us. A church that our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids, our children's children's children will be a part of and long to see their friends and their coworkers and their neighbors be a part of. But before we go any further, I want to just pause at this point and pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is so incredibly patient with us, uh, definitely very, very patient with me. Uh, we thank you that you use us imperfect people to accomplish your perfect mission here on this earth. I pray that there would just be open hearts today, uh, softened hearts. We would just be open to whatever it is that you want to speak to each of us. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. So, as mentioned, seven values. Uh, you ready for these? I think this is kind of exciting. Uh, here, here we go, the big unveiling. Uh, belong before you believe. We uphold biblical truth, contagious joy, live generously. We expect God to move, assume the best, and obedience is the win. Now, I recognize for some of you, you're like, what in the world does that stuff mean? And in fact, they are just words on a screen, but I promise a lot of time we're going to unpack this stuff. Uh, a lot of time, a lot of counsel, and more importantly, a lot of just sitting with the Holy Spirit birthed and, and reignited these. Is this exciting, hopefully, to, to at least a couple of you? Okay, good. So, so today, and, and I seem to do this every single time we start a new series, with like the whopping 10 minutes that I've left for myself, we're going to talk about belong before you believe. Now, these values, it's worth noting, they're not in a numbered order. Uh, with the ones at the top hold more importance than the ones at the bottom. But I will say this one right here in particular holds a place of special importance. It's the one that sort of stands above the rest as the filter that we run most of what we do around here through. It's the conviction that, that God ignited in my soul and all but forced me to walk away from corporate America and said, hey, go start a church. I feel as passionate about this as honestly anything in my life. It is, as is often said in Christian circles, my holy discontent. And that's actually not really even fair, as it would turn out. It happened to be one of the few things that ignited Jesus' righteous anger during his time on this earth. So per usual, Grumlaw's just kind of robbing this stuff from, from Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 15, this is one of those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. He goes out of his way to address this crowd and tell them, and consequently all of us, he says, hey, that there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have not strayed away. I mean, that is a staggering statement. Jesus was quite literally saying, hey, there's more joy in heaven over one person who is far from me and decides to turn to me than over 99 other people who are already religious, who have already bought into all this and have not strayed away. I am on a relentless pursuit after those individuals who are not close to me, who don't have a relationship with me. He wasn't exaggerating. And even though I've never heard of a church denying these words, I've seen a lot of them behave as if Jesus communicated this in another language that is yet to be translated. See, church, for me, has always been a part of my life. And one of the things, and especially so in my adult life, that always kind of irritated me with churches, a pet peeve, if you will, and for some of you actually sitting and watching right now, this, this has driven you nuts as well and has caused you to be very, very reluctant to come walking through the doors of a church again. We are so thankful that you're giving us a shot this morning. 
As you walk in, and immediately it feels pretty clicky. And even more than that, it sort of feels like you just walked into a private meeting that was invite only, and you don't have the password. In fact, you probably had some questions about Jesus, about God, about the church, about Christianity, and you figured, logically, it makes sense, that a good place to explore might be a church. But, but about five minutes into that experience, you thought to yourself, that this feels like the last place to safely explore my faith. I mean, it's evident. It is palpable that I don't belong here and Honestly, I'm kind of getting the vibe. I'd be terrified to ask questions. I'd be terrified to express doubts. I think these people might, might bite me. See, see what's going on in, in many church environments, and I'm not even saying this has been intentional, but it definitely exists, is that they've kind of not so subtly adopted the HOA model. See, <laughs> what happens in an HOA, before you buy a home in certain communities, you're given a list of rules. Some more painful, more annoying than others. And, and you have to decide in that moment if you like that house enough to, to, to put up with all this junk, to put up with all these rules. Like, is it going to be worth it? And, and most of the time, because we as human beings, especially in America, we tend to fall in love with things, homes. We, we don't even read the document. We, we just figure, they're, they're not going to enforce this stuff. And we just kind of move on with our lives. Until you decide to install a new front door only to receive a sharply written notice that says it's in violation of the HOA. And if you don't swap it out with this approved one, they'll come at you with neighborhood shaming and small claims court, and you got to decide which one's worse. This, unfortunately, like I said, big pet peeve for Jesus, big pet peeve for me, big pet peeve for Grumlaw, this, unfortunately, is how a lot of churches operate. Here's the rules. Usually some stuff, yeah, written in the Bible, but a lot of stuff that, that religious men have literally dreamt up. You got to wear this to church. You have to cover up those. You can ask this. You can't ask that. And, and the minute you violate any of these, you're attacked and you're treated like the person who hasn't mowed their lawn in two months. But, but Jesus comes along and he expresses how much he loathes this type of behavior. And, and he introduces us to the, to the family model. In the family model, rather than saying, follow these rules and you can be a part of the club, that's the HOA model, follow the rules, you can be a part of the club, the family model says, hey, you're already a part of the club. And here now is some stuff that'll be better for you as well as the people around you. See, when almost three years ago, we brought our son Oakley, and there's a picture of that cute little twerp, we brought him home through foster care. From the moment we got that call and said, yes, we would like to invite this precious boy into our home, he was a part of the family. We, we, we didn't put like a pen in his baby hand and say, all right, you got to sign this document here. No, he was just in. But, but since we've brought him into the home, we've, we've introduced some rules. Hey, oh, okay, boy, okay, boy, you got to look both ways before you cross the road, buddy. Oakley, we say please and we say thank you. You don't just scream in your high chair. Oakley, you got to eat your fruit and you got to eat these vegetables if you want to eat this cookie. Now, are we introducing these rules because we're looking to restrict Oakley's life? Because we're, we're secretly trying to make him miserable? <laughs> of course not. No, no, we actually want him to experience life to, to its fullest. And, and so we introduce rules that, that will protect him. That, that, that'll keep him from getting smoked by cars, that, that, that will keep him healthy. 
In this way, like Jesus, the rules aren't a condition of the relationship. They're confirmation of the relationship. That they provide us with a framework for healthy relationships with God and other people. His motive is one of provision and protection for the people that he loves, you and, and me. And guess what? He doesn't ask you to live a certain way or do this and, and don't do that or impose rules until the relationship has already been established. Until you've already clearly seen him as someone that can be trusted and someone who clearly has your best interest in mind. I'm not shy about saying this. We have to stop enforcing Christian standards, we as Christians, upon people who do not claim Christ. I've used this example many, many times. If somebody came up to you and says, hey, you've got to start doing this in your life, and you've got to stop doing this in your life, do this, don't do this, and you say, whoa, 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 well, why? And they say, well, it's in the Quran. It's in the Quran, so you've got to do this and you can't do this. You would look back at them probably with a smirk, and I'm sure you'd be composed, but you'd look at them and you'd say, sorry, I don't really care what it says in there. I'm not a Muslim. Bingo. That that is exactly how the world looks at us as we try to enforce these Christian standards upon people who do not claim Christ. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 23, this is one of those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus, one of these people that had a, a front row seat to the entire earthly ministry of Jesus. In Matthew 23, we have one of Jesus' most famous rants against, you guessed it, the HOA Christians, or as they were called back in Jesus' day, Pharisees. Now, I'd invite you to read all of Matthew chapter 23 for yourself. I actually think you'll like Jesus a little bit more, but, but I'm just going to give us a couple of the highlights. Again, this is Jesus talking. In, in verse 2, he, he says, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, again, HOA Christians, are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. That, that is the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament. So, so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. And again, some of you, if you're thinking, you're reflecting, you're like, yeah, that, that kind of sounds a lot like my old church. Verse 15, Jesus says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell. You yourselves are. Because, see, Jesus knew what we all know, that hypocritical, judgmental, arrogant people tend to, given the opportunity to influence, create other arrogant, hypocritical, judgmental people. In verse 25, he says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. I mean, he's pounding the nail. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy. He's like, on the outside, you appear like you have it all together, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of a cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. First worry about yourselves and what is going on in your heart, and the outside will follow suit. See, you don't, like me, like annoying, judgmental religious people. The same people that have maybe made it difficult to step through the doors of a church in, in the past. And I would tell you, you're in good company. Jesus did not like them either. So, so what was Jesus' approach? 
Well, we already talked about that. It's the family model. Or as we say it around here, belong before you believe. See, here's the deal. We don't expect you to, to buy into all of this on day one. So, so stealing from the default posture of Jesus, you can belong. You can be a part of the club. You can be a part of the Grumlaw family before you embrace everything that is documented in this book. But before you embrace everything that we talk about here on Sunday mornings, and by the way, I'm a pastor. And while I absolutely believe and know that every word in this book is true, and I believe, as we're going to talk about next week, that is the unchanging, inerrant word of God, that there's still plenty of stuff in here that doesn't really sit well with me. Come back. Keep exploring, keep asking questions, keep moving closer to God, and he will move closer to you. There's a guy who we learn an awful lot about in the New Testament, that second half of the Bible by the name of Paul. And he writes actually a huge portion of that New Testament, that second half, through a series of letters to these early Christian churches. And he learned everything that he knew about Jesus, well, well, from Jesus and the people that followed Jesus. And he really summarizes very, very beautifully and articulates so well what it is that, that we're talking about here this morning. And I want you to keep in mind that, that, that Paul was actually an ex-Pharisee. He, he was one of these hypocrites that Jesus was just letting have it. He, he, he was one of these really uptight religious people who, who were passing the rules on to all these people and never lifting the burden to make their lives easier. But, but through an, an encounter that only God could have possibly orchestrated, he flips the script and he says, you know what, the HO way of going about things, that's, that's not what's best. The, the family model that Jesus introduces, the belong before you believe, that, that, is, that is what we are moving forward with. In his letter to the early Christian church in Corinth, he, he pens these words for, for us. He, he says, even though I'm a, I'm a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this. It was intentional so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, There's such beauty in this line. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Let us be a church where we look more like Paul and and less like the Pharisee finding common ground with with everyone in in order to be more effective witnesses for Christ. You know, we we didn't start this church to just kind of attract all the people in the area who were disgruntled with their last church. 
We started this church for people who are far from God. Remember Jesus' words, there's more joy in heaven over one lost person who turns to God than over 99 others who have not strayed away. We started this church for people who, who don't yet know God, where, where they have a place where they begin to move closer to him in an environment that doesn't say, follow the rules and you're in, but rather we get on their level. We, we invite them to be a part of the family with no strings attached, just like Jesus did for, for you. Remember with Jesus, it, it wasn't I'll die for you if you promise to do this, 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 this. No, no he died for you while you were still sinning. In fact, knowing that most of us would probably end up rejecting him. I'm going to give you, Jesus said, an opportunity to belong before you have done anything for me. But belong before you believe. Now, now I want to wrap up our time together this morning, but by sharing just a couple of practical ways, and be brief on this, that this kind of fleshes itself out here in this Grumlock community. A look behind the curtain so you can see just how intentional uh, we are with this and just how seriously we, we take this. Uh, you probably noticed we do a lot of events and events that appeal to the masses with no strings attached. And, and what we mean by that is that there's no bait and switch moment. If we say, hey, this is a free uh, event for the community, everything's free. Let's take Summerfest, for, for instance. We, we don't charge for the popcorn. We're not charging for the candy. We're not charging for the pop. We're not charging for, for the movie itself. We're not charging for the inflatables. Truly, everything is free. Now, does that mean that it's free to us? No, it's, it's a really, really expensive event. But we think just as Jesus has been recklessly generous with every single one of us, we ought to do that with the community that God has, has placed us in. And what I mean by, again, no strings attached is there's no bait and switch moment where it's like all of a sudden I knew it it was too good to be true these churches they just cannot help themselves and all of a sudden people find themselves like listening to a 30-minute sermon there's a place for that namely Sunday mornings and, and there's no bait and switch there either I have a feeling that if you walk through the doors of a church or you're watching right now you expected that we were going to be preaching you expected that we were probably going to be singing about Jesus no strings attached uh, we, we don't make any assumptions, or at least we try not to. And I'm just going to give you a couple practical examples of how this fleshes out. Uh, the Bible says, dot, dot, dot. Here's what I mean by that. Very rarely, if, if ever, will you hear me say, okay, in, in John chapter 4, it says, and then we just start talking. No, we, we try to give you a little bit of context. We assume that, that most of you probably don't know a lot about what's written in this book. And so we'll take the time to say, you know, in John, and this is one of these guys who had the front row seat to Jesus' entire earthly ministry, one of the guys who, in fact, knew Jesus best, and he thought this stuff was so important that he wrote it down for us. He says, and then we'll move on. Let's stand and sing. This is a big one for me. It's not lost on us that... Uh, singing in church can make people uncomfortable. It's like all of a sudden, there's just all these people around, arms raised, they're really excited, they're singing out of key, mind you, and you're just like, what is going on? And now, we do that around here, we make no apologies about that, but we, we like to explain that to you. You probably recognize that, that our, our worship pastors, our worship leaders get up there and they explain what they're doing. We explain like, hey, why the Jesus follower might be raising their hands and get excited about this. That doesn't mean that you're going to love it, but at least you have a little more context and understand why. Uh, authenticity over celebrity. Um, what I mean by that, and that's I don't consider myself a celebrity even, even in the slightest, but uh, across all of our leadership, and certainly including me, we have chosen to take a path of, of vulnerability, of authenticity. 
in, in sermons. I, I don't try to tell stories, honestly, very often where, where I'm the hero. In fact, I, I like to give you kind of just a, a little bit of a glimpse into my life and let you know that I'm a pretty normal guy and I make mistakes. I lose my temper with my kids and there's times I'm not super proud of how it is that I might be spending my free time and that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm wrestling with so many of the things that, that you're also wrestling with. And we put that across the board. We're like, hey, lead with vulnerability, lead with authenticity, let people know that you're a real person struggling with the same stuff that they're struggling with. And a question that we're constantly asking ourselves is, hey, why are we doing it this way? Have we gotten stuck in some sort of religious rut are we just doing this for the sake of doing it? Is this what is in fact best for the person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus? Is this, as Paul talked about, what is best for the person who's just starting to explore? Or is it just better for me and like my Christian buddies? See, if you're looking for a church that is just going to best serve you and your religious wants and your religious needs, I'll just come out and say it. that This is not the church for you. But if you're looking for a community where you won't be judged for carrying in a bunch of baggage because, frankly, we all have it. Or you won't be expected to start doing this and stop doing that on day number one. If, if you're looking for a community where you'll actually feel comfortable, and I think this is most important, inviting your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers into without the fear of having to apologize as you walk back out into the parking lot, going, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that today. I'm so sorry. It's not normally like that. Hopefully it doesn't happen next week. Well, I know I'm probably a little bit biased, but I think you found the right home. It was that Holy Spirit-led, Jesus-following example that led a group of people to even start this church. You, you watching right now, you can belong before you believe.